the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 481 for Sunday, December 29th, the final episode of 2013. Here we go. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in tips, questions, problems, and for eight years, eight and a half years, that's uh, that's what you've been doing. And for eight and a half years, we've been answering your questions, solving your tips, sharing your tips, sharing our tips, having fun learning about the Mac. And that's what we continue plan to continue doing all the way into and through 2014 here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Oh, better turn that down <laughs> here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun and here in Durham, New Hampshire, Pilot Pete. It's nice Thank to have you back, Pilot Pete. It's good to be back, guys. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that. Yeah, back at you. Thanks. Hope you guys had some nice time with your families. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I hope all of you, uh, the, you folks listening had some good time in, uh, through our holiday season. It's not quite over. We've got this uh, New Year thing smack dab in the middle of next week. So, and then I got one the day after. We, I, don't, I don't know if you know, we got four birthdays in the two weeks surrounding Christmas Happy and New Year's. Birthday. That's <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen you since your birthday. Yeah, That's thanks. Right. So, yeah, I'm yeah. just one of uh, four in our house That's in uh, this two week period. <laughs> 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 Throwing a couple major holidays. Uh, it's just a lot chaotic. That's all. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Our kids are born early December and that makes it, you know, Thanksgiving, a birthday, Christmas yeah. for us. But you're, it, that's well, even crazier. Now we're right there. Yeah. Right close up to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. You had a good Christmas, John? Yep. Excellent. Spent time with the family. Good. Help, uh, you know, help to update uh, parents set up there. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, my sister, uh, they're, they're on a PC. They haven't learned. Oh, so, uh, it, my brother-in-law got an iPad. So, uh, so there is hope. Dude, we were at my dad's <laughs> last night. My sister's in town and uh, my aunt-in-law. I don't know what she what, what, what I would call. She was in town. So we had the whole, and my brother obviously lives, or not obviously, my brother lives local. And so he and his kids were around. So we had all of us at the house last night at my dad's house. And his 10-year-old Windows XP machine is like running slow and so i wound up uh with my with my brother we wound up troubleshooting his xp machine all night and it, it's still ongoing i i had actually forgotten how much i enjoyed doing that kind of troubleshooting i did it for years you know i mean it, that's how i made my living for a you long did time just send him to pcmatic.com no fixes your heart yeah, yeah right i think that's kind of how the problem started Pete. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to go, you know, I didn't have any of my tools and by tools, I mean like USB sticks or CDs up to date with, you know, virus and spyware removal stuff. And I'm not convinced that's what was going on. His windows updater was screwed up and that was firing off and chewing up lots of CPU and Ram. And, but, uh, but it was, it was actually fun. I, like I said, I've forgotten how, how much I enjoyed troubleshooting windows. It doesn't mean that I wanted it in my home. But uh, but it is a fun platform to troubleshoot because it, it was so riddled with problems and it actually made me a lot of money back in uh, back in the day. So, it's, yeah, uh, but, you know, should get should get get off XP, you know, it's end of life uh, 2014. Finally. Yeah, I, I, I would not recommend him to upgrade the OS on that machine. We may do a nuke and pave on that machine if it comes to that. I mean, he's listen, he's had an XP machine for nine, maybe 10 hmm. years, and he's never done a nuke and pave, which is 
crazy. I mean, it, that's yeah. unheard of. Wow. Yeah. Right. And he, he, he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, dad, we've sort of, you know, shielded you from this for a long time. But this is when I had customers on XP, it was like an annual thing. It was like, oh, yeah, OK, finally got tied in knots. Let's nuke and pave. It's all normal. Yep. It's good. So I'm uh, I, you know, I recently used seven and I still have seven in a virtual machine. And I think seven is uh, much better. Is, is seven as stable seven. as XP? Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. Uh, about, did they fix it? In eight? my experience, it was less prone to just, you know, snowballing into a, <laughs> a world of pain. Right. Well, yeah, because XP was the last one built not on it on uh, Windows NT, right? Um, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, there, there were the two cores, the two foundations that were kind of running in para. I don't know how we got. I know how we got here. Yeah. I don't know why we're still here in <laughs> Mac Geek Gab, uh, but there were the two uh, foundations. There was the the DOS, essentially the DOS three point one into Windows three point one into Windows ninety five ninety eight XP that track, at, and ME was in there, and then the other track was Windows NT, which started life as VMS back in the sixties. And then that became Windows NT and then that became Windows 2000. And then here we are with, you know, uh, I think seven and, and eight are on that foundation. If And I haven't really kept up with it uh, in terms of a troubleshooting standpoint, but I think that's I think that's right. So, I mean, similar to Apple, they had, you know, they had it was fu- it was actually kind of funny, right? Because Apple had their proprietary stuff with OS uh, seven through nine. And then when they moved to OS 10, it was still Apple's stuff, but it was built on the Unix core from the 60s. And Microsoft chose to go with the VMS core from the 60s. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we started with with Unix and VMS sort of being these competing operating systems, but no human in their home had a computer powerful enough to run them. So we had to come up with all these you know, workarounds and different OSs. And then finally, we just came back to it. I remember Microsoft hired some of the original VMS programmers for a while there. So it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. So that's I, right. Am I, I'm, I'm right about that. Right. That's how I understood yeah. the, uh, the, the, yeah. NT was, uh, yeah. I, I remember reading about the development. Yeah. I think it was heavily influenced or uh, the, yeah. Yeah. The right. It's V it's V yeah. VMS. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, you know, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's it was um, it's poetic. Don't you think? We've got some poetry to share here, John, today. So we're going to go through some questions because that's what we do. And uh, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time at the end of the show where John and I and Pete, if you've prepped, I don't know uh, how, how much you prepped, but feel free to chime in. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of all the things that uh, not all the things, but the highlights of 2013 for us. And then also what we're looking forward to in 2014 in our uh, in our world here. And, and probably none of that will involve Windows. And, and certainly in this first question. I don't think we have windows at all. Donna writes, hi guys. I love the show. Thanks for all the great info. I'm having an issue with Apple calendars and I think it just started with iOS seven or with my iPhone five S. I can't recall if it happened in the short time I used iOS seven on my iPhone five, but I think it might have. I imagine this is a software problem, not hardware. Uh, I back up my iPhone five S via iCloud nightly and have calendars set to sync all events. My problem is uh, I frequently need to look up past events used for billing purposes and meeting minutes minutes for what I do for work. I previously used list view and typed in a search word to see specific things and it worked great. It showed all past and future events containing the search word. 
Now I use the magnifier icon to see the same list style view in iOS 7, and I type in the same search words, but the results usually only go back about four to six weeks. Uh, and she shows us some uh, some screenshots with various issues uh, or highlighting various issues. She says, I don't see all the event dots in month view that I used to either. The earliest one time event showing up on my iPhone is on October 27th. And her email was uh, from December 27th, I believe. So that makes things very interesting or December 26th. So uh, there's clearly a cutoff happening for her. She said, it's like none of my events exist. However, uh, on my iCAD, on my iPad, I can see one-time events back to December of 2010. And when I log into iCloud from a computer or use my MacBook Pro or iMac, all the calendar info is still there in iCloud. What's going on? So this is interesting because the, the initial thought was make sure you, my initial thought was make sure you go into uh, settings, mail contacts and calendars, and then all the way at the bottom in the calendar section, you... Uh, there's a sync option and you can choose to have it go back only a month, three months, six months or, you know, so that you're not storing all this data on your iPhone unnecessarily if you don't need it. Hence the definition of unnecessarily uh, for her, though, she needs it. And she had already set that to all events. But we know the data exists on iCloud. So in this instance, my feeling is delete that iCloud or uh, delete the calendars from your your iDevice. And you do that again back in settings, mail contacts and calendars. Select the account, in this case, the iCloud account, and turn the switch for calendars off. It will ask you if you want to delete the data from your device. And you do uh, let it delete it from your device. Let it get fine. Check your calendar. Make sure the data is gone. Then go back into that same spot in settings. Turn it back on and uh, and that should pull everything down. Um, if that doesn't work, you might have to remove the entire iCloud account from it. But I don't think so. I think just turning calendars on or sorry, off and then on again should do that. Can I add it's going to take some time to, to generate that stuff from the back because I had a similar problem with my wife's uh, iPhone. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, it, it took a little bit. of. She's like, well, it's not there yet. I'm going to. Give it a few minutes. It'll actually get there. But she wanted it right now. You turn it on, it should be there. And, and it's not. It's going to take time to get that data back. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, right. Yeah. It's got to download it from the cloud and, sure. and and process it and all that good stuff. So have you run into anything like I know you use iCloud some, you know, somewhat, right, John? Um, you know, I ran into something a little similar, and we'll, we'll talk more about it here. I recently uh, uh, refined my email setup here, and I definitely noticed that the way the iOS device sees it is different from how the Mac sees it. Mm -hmm. So as a general tip, whenever you're noticing stuff like this here, I think as, as you suggested, you know, if you go uh, in iOS, if you go to settings, mail contacts and calendars, and then for the accounts where you're having some problems, dig in there and you may see a, uh, you know, setting that is different from how you're set up on your Mac. Indeed. Yeah. 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 I oh, go ahead. No, that uh, no. I just find it kind of aggravating sometimes that the you know they're they're not not quite feature compatible between the uh, even though technically iOS is you know a well it's a OS subset, ten at the I would core. Say. It, yeah, it's not even a subset. I mean, it's they they both share foundation, and then beyond that, they have different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the touch stuff that exists on iOS that doesn't exist. You know, the touch frameworks on iOS that don't exist on the Mac, and and vice versa. I mean, I I think. Probably could be argued they're both equally robust platforms 
uh, that share some of their APIs and some that don't make sense. They don't share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. All right. Uh, we got, you know, it's interesting, John. We got a couple of questions. As always happens, we wind up getting things in a theme. And uh, and this is almost like a theme carrying over from some of the issues we touched upon in the last show that we were having between us. And when I say we, in that sense, I meant me with all the audio and getting your audio into the show last minute before the, the last show. Uh, but we have a couple of interesting audio related questions. Joe writes, Guys, I got a Bluetooth speaker, and when I sync it to my Mavericks iMac, my Mac speakers turn off. Is there a way to keep all the speakers running at the same time? So you're right. If the Mac, by default, will only output to one audio device at a time, meaning if you connect to uh, a uh, uh, you know Bluetooth speaker or, or USB speaker, your internal speakers will turn off. Uh and, and then if you set back to use your internal speaker, your Bluetooth speakers will turn off. However, there is a way, uh, and there's a couple different ways, but there's a way built into the OS to, com- to create what's, what's called a, well, it's, it's now called a multi-output device. And you do this by going into Audio MIDI Setup, which is an application installed on your Mac. It's inside the Applications Utilities folder. And uh, and you'll see all your audio devices listed when you run this app. Click the plus sign in the lower left hand corner, which is kind of common convention amongst Apple apps for adding something to that list and uh, choose multi output device. And with that, you then get to pick all the devices that will be included in this one output device. So in Joe's case, he would choose built in output and whatever his Bluetooth speaker is called in uh, in that list. And then you would choose this multi and you could rename this multi output device to Bluetooth and internal or something. But then this will show up in your sound output preferences and you can choose this multi output device and it will send audio out to both of them. Uh, you can adjust volumes and things like that. You, you can do some of that in you know the standard settings and some of that here in audio devices where you might want to balance the audio between the two um, to get a relative mix. But uh, but that will work. The one place that this does not work, and this is a hardware limitation of, I believe, all Intel Macs and perhaps even some uh, of the later model PowerPC Macs, is you cannot have your internal speakers and your headphones running simultaneously. That used to be possible, but it is no longer possible. And I am assured by Paul Kafasis at, uh, at Rogue Amoeba, the Audio Hijack Pro folks, that uh, that this is now a hardware limitation. It's no longer a software limitation that you can work around. So you can't combine headphones and he- plugged in headphones and built in speakers. There is one built in audio path and it is either headphones if they are plugged in or it is internal speakers if not, but anything else you can combine this way. So there you go. That's my, that's my answer on that one, John, but it makes it fun. Could also use audio hijack pro or, you know, any of those types of software to, to aggregate audio devices together. But this, this makes for what you're doing, Joe, this yeah. makes perfect sense. I do find it interesting that AirPlay will let you, uh, I'm not sure how recently they did that, but it will, you know, like from within iTunes or something, let you select multiple destinations. Only from within, well, yeah, only from within certain apps, and iTunes is one of them. 
but yes, right. Airplay. Um, you know, I, th- I think we talked about this in the last show. I know we had it queued up for the last show. I can't remember off the top of my head if we talked about it, but you know, you can use airplay with, um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a Sonos type thing, right? Where if you've got multiple destinations around the house, you can beam audio mm-hmm. out to them and you can use airfoil from, from audio, from a uh, rogue amoeba to, to even make more things, airplay destined airplay ish destinations. That makes it fun. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've tried it. I got it. Uh, so my two destinations are, uh, uh, airport express and a, uh, uh, Apple TV. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you can easily send to both of those from iTunes, but not from your Mac. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can send your Mac's audio to one or the other, or you could use this multi-output uh, device to send it to both. But iTunes will let you do that just from within iTunes, which is awesome. It's as it should be. Good. All right. Uh, Chris, along the uh, along similar lines, Chris writes, Connected to my 2011 Mac Mini is a USB digital audio converter, which is connected via a long RCA cable to a headphone amp on the other side of the room from my Mac. In system preferences under sound, I can select this USB unit and all is well until I connect to my Apple TV using AirPlay. When I disconnect the AirPlay, I find the DAC is no longer selected and the audio has reverted back to the internal speakers. Do you know of a way to avoid this issue? And, uh, you know, I, um, my first thought on this that Chris tried and, and, and was not able to make work was to use control plane. Control plane is, uh, uh, an app that allows you to set certain triggers and then fire off actions when those triggers are true. So when my iMac in the office wakes up, I have the wake up be a trigger and then it goes and remounts all my um, control plane is there and remounts all my network drives so that all my network drives are there. Even if my machine has gone to sleep and hasn't automatically remounted them and it's, it works great in theory. It looks like control plane could do this. Chris tried it and did not run into uh, a resounding uh, pool of success. Do pools resound? I'm not sure, John, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> But but indeed, he he uh, he did not get that working. However, um, he did write back that he was able to write an Apple script to do this. And I'm trying to pull up his uh, his email here because it was actually a pretty cool thing. And Chris said I didn't prep this part of the email for the show. He said uh, control plane was a non-starter, but uh I've cobbled together a simple Apple script, which uses the OS 10 accessibility feature to open system preferences, go to sound, select my digital audio converter, and then quit system preferences. I have compiled it and put it in the dock. And all I need to do is remember to click it when I deactivate airplay mirroring. It's not automatic, but it is automated such that I only have to click one button. So that, uh, that works. I, I have a question suggestion along those lines too. Go ahead. <clears throat> like I'm wondering, I don't I don't see any negative button there. Uh, you know how you can delete uh, a, a, a Wi-Fi connection or an Ethernet connection. So that's why I'm wondering if you could delete the speakers from being recognized by the OS. No. 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 In, 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 you're yeah. talking about in audio MIDI setup there. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just want to yeah, look at you know if you could say hey there's no speakers there. 
Right. So the system wouldn't even look for him. Uh, that's interesting. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. To deactivate that particular output. Sure. I, I I don't think so. Yeah, I've never seeing, tried that. I'm, I'm looking in system preferences now, and I'm not seeing any any negative any button there that right. allows you to remove something. Right, and, and probably with good reason from Apple's standpoint of. <laughs> right, right. We don't want you disabling hardware that, that we have to then support right. you getting back. <laughs> although, although I mean, to that end, they do let you do that with Ethernet. Sure, exactly. Right. So you, you can yeah. disable the interface. And, yeah. yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't tried that. It, it would be interesting to try. An audio I wonder if there's a way up. to do that in uh, in a terminal somehow. Saying that yeah. hardware ain't there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what he could do, though, oh, he, 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 this wouldn't work either. I was going to say he could kind of take the answer from the previous question and create a multi output that includes both his internal speakers and the 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 digital output device. Yeah. But but, you're saying now that no longer works. So. But well, no, it would, it would work and then he could create it. But if it's defaulting back to his built-in speakers, it will still default back to his built-in speakers, even if he adds more audio devices. Right. And, and, and to the, to the last question, if it wasn't clear what, what this is doing is normally when you plug in new audio devices, it's hardware that appears in that list of sound output. But uh, what you're doing with this multi audio device, this aggregate audio device, if you will, is creating what appears to be another hardware interface, but doing it in software. So it's treated that way. It shows up in system preferences output. It shows up in Skype's output. It shows, you know, it's 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 treated like a hardware device. It's a virtual device is what it is. So hopefully that that makes it clear. John, you want to uh, take us to. Uh Take us to Maverick's Ethernet while we're talking about Ethernet interfaces and, and those not working. We'll just segue right in there. It's like one big jam session. Yes. Let me make sure I get the latest one here. <clears throat> we, uh, okay. So I have the latest one here. All right. Who is this? Is it Sven? Sven. I think, I think it's S-V-E-I-N. I think that's Sven. I, I'd, I'd buy that. And if we're wrong, let us know. All right, let's see. Let me see where we can start here. All right, so here's what we got. We've got an iMac 27-inch Autumn 2009, 16 gigs RAM, uh, located at the home office, connected to a time capsule by a switch running gigabit Ethernet. Uh, and that, in turn, is connected to a DSL modem with 100 megabit ports. So um, most of the devices are behind the time capsule, but it's running in bridge mode, so all devices are in the same network. The reason for putting most of the machines behind the time machine is to benefit from gigabit Ethernet. Cool. Yeah. Now for the issue at hand, I always update to the latest and greatest in software. So naturally, I installed Mavericks as soon as it was released. All went well, and I never thought about the network up until last week. The backup was really slow. And when I looked in System Preferences Network, I noticed that Ethernet was red and status was cable unplugged. Uh, and so he looked and uh, saw that the cable was plugged in. So, <laughs> um, and so he tried a few things, try to solve this problem. Um, now he noticed there was no link light on this switch. Okay, and to me that's a bad sign. Uh, so he tried changing the cable. Good. Um, yes, because I've heard of bad cables, so that's a good I've, thing. Uh, I've had bad cables. <laughs> yeah. Um, Changing the port, okay, another another good strategy. Uh, the port on the on the device to which he's plugging it into on the other end, right? 
or the Switch, I think. On the Switch. Um, that's what I mean. Yeah, the Switch or whatever, whatever right, right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay, that's also ports, smart. Because yep. I've seen ports die as well. Um, yes. You know, especially the big boy routers. You know, a port can die and you replace it or, mm-hmm. you know, a card with multiple ports on it. So, sure. Good strategy. And then he plugged it directly into the modem as well. Okay. Good. Yeah. Eliminate the, the Switch as a problem. Although I wouldn't rec- necessarily recommend plugging directly into a DSL or cable modem because that kind of exposes you to to evilness. <laughs> right. But it is a good test. I mean, from the troubleshooting yes, standpoint, yes. it's great. Absolutely. Um, and so he uh, rebooted back into Snow Leopard, uh, an external disk with Mountain Lion. So he's trying different operating systems. Uh, and to me, that's a good strategy, too, is, you know, well, let's see. Uh, you know, did Mavericks cause it, I think, was was the question. So he looked for physical damage. Uh, he deleted and added the port again. Okay. That's a good thing too. Sometimes that entry gets corrupted or screwed up. So, um, um, PRAM or SMC, uh, PRAM and SMC reset. Okay. Uh, again, you know, things could get screwed up. I've, I've never had them affect the network, um, settings, but you know, something to try. Sure. Um, and he said he found other people with similar problems. So right now he has a machine that has a uh, wired and of course a wireless or, well, he does have a wireless connection, but um, he was saying, do you have any, sug- any additional suggestions? Um, well, I, go ahead. Give, give your suggestions. I, I, I think you touched on what it is already, but, but, but there are suggestions for troubleshooting this. Maybe. Well, well, maybe I'll hand it to you because okay. you started off. So, and then I had some uh, additional ones towards the end, and sure. also kind of a little little tip, um, which doesn't apply. But, uh, but no, you started off. So, so let me okay. let me hand the baton to you. Yeah, I, well, you know, you touched on it that ports can go bad, and ports that means ports on switches can go bad. It means ports on routers can go bad, and un, unfortunately, it also means that ports on computers can go bad. And the difference between a port on a switch or a router versus the computer is uh, often switches and routers have multiple ports. And so you can simply use a different one. Uh, Whereas on your computer, you only have one. And replacing that port is usually involves a motherboard replacement in most in the way most Macs work. They they aren't on separate Ethernet cards or anything like that. So, I, I mean, my my feeling is. You know, test this with uh, a different boot disk just to make sure you're not stuck in some weird software thing. And I, but I really don't think it's a software problem. I think it's that the port has simply gone bad. And this happens, you know, if you get like a minor little lightning, uh, sur- lightning or power surge of any kind, uh, you you want to make sure you're protected at both the AC level, meaning your your power cord for your computer but also at the dc level um you don't need to protect everything in your house uh dc you know and dc is is your ethernet cable also your coax for your cable modem uh that's all dc lightning will hit and trust me i know from personal experience <laughs> yes, you do yes yeah. i do uh but dc is way more susceptible to lightning and surge damage than ac stuff is so you actually want to protect your DC stuff before you even protect your AC stuff. In in theory, you really want both Um, the way, but you only need to protect the the DC stuff from the outside. So if you, if you kind of draw a perimeter around your house, what's coming in, you know, so your cable modem comes in. So protect that. If you can, you'll lose about one DB uh, on the cable modem coming in. But to me, that's worth it. 
But then I also protect from the cable modem in um, because if you get a surge from the cable modem to the switch that can jump to other ports on the switch and then jump to the computer. So putting some kind of I, I use APC's protect net devices, but a lot of like battery backup units, UPSs have Ethernet protection built into them. Just make sure that Ethernet protection supports gigabit. Uh, some of the earlier models only supported 100 megabit. Um, but but I, I mean, I unfortunately and maybe this is just my experience and therefore my prejudice talking. But my gut says that this is a, a hardware thing and I've seen it happen. I have machines with dead Ethernet ports because of that. Uh, but I, you know, but I'm also I have a scenario that is highly susceptible. If I screw up mm-hmm. one thing, I find out about it. The hard right. Way. Yeah. And then there were then there were a couple other things. And yeah. then, uh, so I picked it up uh, uh, at the point where I said, well, you know what? Run this one tool. And you had suggested some, some command line stuff, but I think this okay. presents it in a, in a nicer way, yep. at least graphically. Yep. But there's something called network utility. And so what I asked them to do is I said, well, you know, well, could you start up network utility? And, um, and tell me what you see. Uh, so there's an info tab and then what's listed are all the interfaces on your computer and typically EN zero is the ethernet port. And for example, in my, in my case, it listed hardware address, IP address, link speed, one gigabit per second, link status, active vendor, Marvel model, Yukon gigabit adapter, blah, blah, blah. And then some packet status. And I said, can you um, tell me what you see? And what he saw was, well, something similar uh, <laughs> up to a certain point. Um, where was it? Okay, at the top here. All right. So his said hardware address, um, IP address, nothing. Link speed, zero megabits per second. <laughs> Link status, inactive. But the fact, uh, the, the next two things, so it said vendor Broadcom model 5764. Uh, that convinced me that it does see the Ethernet hardware. And it is fried at some level. Yes. Right. Right. It sees it. It just thinks that a cable's not plugged in. And that's exactly the symptom that one would see. One pin could be fried. One one pin could be fried. That's right. Yeah. Could I don't know if he tried this. I mean, it could be I wonder if one of the pins snapped off on the port. It's interesting that it happened after the Mavericks install though. That that's his that's his. Yeah, it's it's a strange coincidence. Well he but he to be fair, he doesn't could have been he doesn't know that. It, right, right. It, it, I, I mean, there's they, there is a there, there's a a, a a wide window of time during, exactly. during which exactly. the Mavericks install happened. You know, and if he went back to Mountain Lion and it was there again, then then you'd have to really scratch your head. Well, but, and that's why I said, know, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. and that would be a great test. Yeah. yeah. Right. That would rule that out. Go find what your. What if he could now, do that in a virtual and, and virtualize Mountain yeah. Lion and see? Yeah. So, well, no, no. You'd want to boot clean with it. Yeah. But you could. I mean, that's relatively trivial with a USB stick or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there you go. But no, actually what I just said, which I hadn't even thought of, you know, uh, sometimes this happens when we, when we toss things around here, but it could be that maybe one of the pins in the port is, has snapped off or had been damaged. Sure. Uh, So if, you may, yeah, take a peek in there or replacing now you, uh, I don't, I, I haven't looked. I don't know if that is a, a yeah, component kind of that one could replace uh, iMac. Yeah. No, that's yeah, typically yeah, yeah. It's all soldered. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but maybe. I mean, listen, you know, maybe well, if it's soldered to a circuit, or you, you know, I mean, heck, go to a you know Apple store. Um, I have two more solutions though. Yeah. 
because uh, because new, new iMac. Well, okay, I have three. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Well, uh, or reply because you know I actually looked at Mac Fix It because some machines, like for example, we had some questions uh, regarding a uh, MacBook Pro, and at least the early MacBook Pros have uh, you know I'll call them darter boards or something, and yeah. they have circuit boards that have certain ports that you can swap out. Now, unfortunately, I looked at on iFixit, and at least in the case of this particular iMac. It's all one board, or I didn't find a you know network subassembly that that he could purchase. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I I was entertaining that as an option. That sure, yeah, you replace that. But it sounds like here you have to not. replace the whole the whole whole board. Um, so there are Mac. So he has a, a Wi-Fi. He has the ability to go Wi-Fi, non-optimal, but at least it keeps him connected to the network and therefore the Internet. Uh, like my but but there are Macs that come out without Ethernet ports, the MacBook Air specifically. And so Apple sells and third parties sell too USB to Ethernet yeah, adapters. You now, USB two uh, does not go as fast as gigabit Ethernet, right? USB 2, in mm -hmm. theory, tops out, you know, 480-ish, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's better than 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 what you're going to get Wi-Fi. In fact, probably a USB, uh, probably a, a, a 100 megabit adapter will be better than what you'd get with Wi-Fi in most real-world scenarios, even with 802.11n. So, um I use one from Amazon that I picked. It's not Amazon branded, but I use one that I got on Amazon with my MacBook Air. Uh, and that is this. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's just a hundred megabit adapter. It's it's some third party thing. Um, people uh, have th it, they say that you need drivers for it on the Mac and it comes with drivers for the Mac. But mm. it's uh, it's oh, actually now they've Amazon's updated the description. The, the drivers are there on the Mac. I, I got this thing, pulled it out of the box, plugged it in and it, it just worked. Yeah. yeah. Which is how you want it. That's that's how you want it. But that's only a hundred megabit adapter is 15 bucks. Easy solution. Uh, Peter Sitchell over at Sustainable Softworks wrote an article about uh, using gigabit Ethernet adapters, gigabit to USB Ethernet adapters on uh, on Macs. And I'll put his article in there and he links to another thing at Amazon. Ten bucks more. So twenty five bucks. Uh, it is a gigabit adapter. Obviously, it's going to be limited by your USB interface because it is only a USB two device. But um, oh, it's not a USB three device. No. Oh, interesting. No. Um, but it works, you know. So, you, yeah. I mean, you get four times the speed that you would out of the other one for sure. an extra ten bucks. So we'll put that in the show notes, too. And uh, I mean, these are. Again, non-optimal solutions, but you're in a non-optimal scenario. So, um, yep. And actually, I don't know if you saw the last reply from him, Dave, but it looks like that's what happened because he sent me screen snapshots using our pal network utility of the remaining, <laughs> sadly, the remaining interfaces. And one of them is called USB Ethernet. Yep. And the link speed that, that's displayed for that is 100 megabits per second. And then he also has his Wi-Fi, where the link speed is 130 megabits per second. Wow. And now his question is, which one of these should I use? Or the other question, and I think it's relevant, he's like, well, can I use both of them and get like, you know, 100 megabits plus 130? Sadly, not in this case. 
You no, no. It's a good question. Yeah. If you have a, mach, a, a machine, actually, the Mac does support you yes. doing something called link aggregation, but that only works for Ethernet. And actually, if you're, you know, I hadn't looked at this for a while, but if you go into the network uh, networks uh, system preference and you click on the little gear and say manage virtual interfaces, and then click plus, you then get a choice saying new link aggregate. Now, of course, on my machine here, when I click on that, it'll give you a choice of all the interfaces you can aggregate and mush together. Now, of course, in this case, it only shows one Ethernet port because my Mac Mini only has one Ethernet port. Right. Um, I, it, the thing is, if he turned on both interfaces, all it would buy him. I mean, as far as I know, what happens is that if you have multiple interfaces on, the, the Mac is going to use the first one, first working one, based on set service order. Right. Now, I would, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, because technically it shows his Wi-Fi interface is 130 megabits per second and the USB is 100. I'd say it's a toss up between the two. I mean, maybe run a speed test and see which one you get better speed with. Well, because uh, 130 is in theory. I don't think you're ever he's ever going to see 130 megabits on the And 130 Wi-Fi. is single direction at a time, whereas mm-hmm. it's so half duplex. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. Ethernet is in almost every modern uh, scenario, full duplex, meaning if it's a hundred megabit connection, you get a hundred to you and a hundred from you simultaneously. Whereas Wi-Fi, it's typically not full duplex. And co- please correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Wi-Fi is not full duplex. But now that I say it, I think, well, maybe tech has changed in the last year. So, uh, but yeah, so Ethernet and Ethernet's always a reliable uh, consistently reliable speed too, whereas Wi-Fi is going to change based on you know the phase of the moon and all that good stuff. So, yeah, it was just a uh, just a crazy coincidence that that happened at the time. I think so. It is worth confirming that, um, but um, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it'd be a real head scratcher if it worked with mountain lion. That, well, yeah, well, no, because I mean, then you, you know, you've got a driver issue. Yeah. But okay, why sure. is there a driver issue when yeah. no one else in the world is having that? Right. It's go. not something we've heard of uh, from other people. You know, it's funny when when um, it, 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 it we've talked about this, but, you know, we get emails and, and the, the subject of this email was funky Ethernet disappearance after Mavericks. And nothing is worse for a troubleshooter like us. Being led down the wrong path. Being right. Immediately led down the wrong path. This is why when I was doing calls uh, for a living uh, back when I was doing the Windows XP stuff, I stopped reading the reason for the call on the ticket. I'd get the ticket from the office. We we, we had built up a business down in Austin called Computer Nerds, and and we had people uh, answering the phones and dispatching and all that. And so there would be this conversation between the either customer, prospective customer and the dispatcher uh, who would, you know, try to figure it out. And these dispatchers got pretty good over time, but they didn't start typically didn't start as as technical people. And so there would be this, you know, even if they understood exactly what the customer was telling them, maybe the customer didn't know. But it's also like a seven word description of potentially this huge problem. Right. Just like this. Yeah. Ethernet disappearance after Mavericks. And I would if I read those descriptions, I would spend my time in the car driving to the appointment thinking of all the reasons that that whatever that this description was accurate and uh, yeah i might spend the first hour 
heading down the wrong yeah. path. You know, we actually do that a lot in, in, in aviation, and I don't know where along the line I learned to, to try and keep my opinions out of my write-ups on the airplane, but a lot of times my write-up is going to be, you know... Symptom. Um, the, exactly. The, the, uh, the parking brake light is in-op. You know, not when I said it, not when I was taxiing, you know, nothing about what, what, why, when, and how it happened. Now, it, when I debrief the mechanic face-to-face, he may ask, well, what was going on? And I try and give as much data as possible. Of course. I just wanna, but the basic write-up is, this light is in-op. That's it's it. all yours, pal. That's right. No. <laughs> and and it, they it, love that, because yes. when you start leading them down the wrong path, they, yeah. you know, and, so and the just, good guys learn, like you say, not not to pay attention to yeah. the opinions. What what's the symptom? Let don't, me let me go from there. Don't bite the hook. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's totally right. Yeah. Well, so it, on ahead. the other hand, I got to say it is important because I've done some. You know when you know when I was doing the R and D thing, I was kind of unofficial IT support, and because the uh, sure. IT people didn't want to support Macs at the time, uh, eventually they warmed up to it. But uh, I was kind of the Mac support person even back then. And one question to me that was so important is, what have you changed recently? Absolutely. Listen to make the person yes. think about it, because a lot of times they'd be like, "Oh, I haven't changed anything." It's like, "Oh, but you added the Who'sy What's It toolbar, and you did the, the you know." <laughs> <laughs> no, a- absolutely. No, that's a getting the, the, the I've always learned trust your gut. Right. You know, I mean, that's the thing that that has led me to more solutions more quickly than anything else. Now, your gut is based on a lot of things, experience being one of them. And when you don't have any experience with a specific computer, as you wouldn't with a customer's machine or, you know, in your case, some some coworkers machine. Yes. Asking them for their opinion is great because they they may or may not head you down the right path. But it it's it's oh, it's I always find it important to contextualize that. Oh, right? sure. I mean, just like this yeah. one, Ethernet disappearance after Mavericks. OK, great. That is one data point And it's a great data point. However, we are not going to, you know, assume that that is, in fact, the problem. You mm-hmm. know, if it's easy to test, if it's a 10 second test. Great. Let's test that because the, your gut's right. This testing going back to mountain lion, all that, that could be a 30 minute test. Sure. You know, is that the best place to start? Let's get all the facts together. Yeah, first. When a new cable fixes it right away. You go, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, now, he'd already tried that. Sure, but, sure, but, sure. But, you know, it's still. Yeah, it's it gets interesting. Yeah. Now it's it's good, though. I, like I said, I'm still in troubleshooting space from last night. I, like I said, I got all excited about uh, troubleshooting windows. It was fun. Um, sort of <laughs> frustrating. But you how know. many domestic disturbances are caused over Mac versus PC? <laughs> you know, now there was really there was something really nice about you'd go into somebody's home. I, I preferred the troubleshooting calls to training calls, which is actually why I preferred working on windows machines for clients than Macs, because most Mac calls were training calls because Macs it just didn't have as many problems. And most windows calls were troubleshooting calls. And I liked it because you guys know me, I get hyper. I've had caffeine this morning. I don't usually, but, uh, but I like to work at my speed and training. It's absolutely not working at my speed, you know? So I would get to dig in and really get totally immersed in a problem. And that's fun, yeah, you know, yeah. and then the, if you can solve the problem, then you're totally the rock star, too, which is even better. You yeah. know, it's the icing on the cake. But being totally immersed in that problem, that's it's good. It's good for your head. I think I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. Is that called the slowest common denominator when you're doing training? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's like, that's, yeah, that's actually a good way to look. At it. I had to learn to sit on my hands yeah. training people. Yeah. 
quite literally, I just sit on my hands. (laughs) But that's because I'm hyper and crazy. And I was better at trouble. I mean, I trained. I did actually did tons of training. And in a classroom style, I actually did well. But one-on-one, you know, I I get impatient. It's just how I am. I know that comes as a shock to you, John. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. We're good on this one, right? I like that stuff. Uh, let's go to Devin. Might as well. We'll jump around here, John. Devin writes, he has a question and a cool stuff found. You know, we're going to mention the cool stuff found first, wherever that is in his question. He says, uh, the the piece of software is called Mac drop any. So since there have been a few discussions about cloud syncing in iCloud recently, I thought I would share this app, which I absolutely love. I'm a Dropbox user and pay for extra storage, but I don't like keeping all the folders that I want synced within the Dropbox directory. Mac Drop Any allows you to point any folder to within Dropbox and have it sync, i.e. your desktop folder. I recently did this with my iCloud data so that it would have so that I would have a second copy of the data in the cloud should anything go wrong. It's free and I've never had any problems with it at Zibity.com. So we will put that in the show notes. I think we've mentioned that before, but that's... um. That's well worth uh, reminding everyone of because it is sort of the most common issue with Dropbox that you have to sync everything in their folder. And this this it's a workaround, so it's not guaranteed to work all the time. But um, but it's, uh, you know, it's been working for people for many years. So I think we're in good shape. And now on to his question. John, Have you ever used Mac drop any, John? No. Okay. Uh, Now on to his question. He says, I'm having some issues with my iCloud mail that I'm stumped on how to fix. Most things look fine within mail app on my Mac. My trash folder shows normally and all my deleted messages are located there. However, on the web within iCloud, my trash folder has been renamed to trash folder colon deleted space messages. And this folder is completely empty, as is archive. There is another regular folder showing in iCloud on the web called deleted messages, which has all of my trash items. In mail app on my Mac under the iCloud account, this deleted messages folder does not exist, but there's another regular folder called trash folder deleted messages, which is completely empty. If I delete this folder on my Mac, it is automatically recreated. That part, the part that confuses me about this is that the official trash folder on iCloud has been renamed and I have no idea how this could have happened or how I would go about fixing it. I've looked for an IMAP interface for iCloud from Apple, but have not been able to find one. How do you think I can fix this? Okay, so this is where IMAP gets a little funky and where you have to be um, meticulous, I'll say, about setting things up, especially as one often does with IMAP, when you have multiple accounts pointing at one IMAP server. So your IMAP server uh, has its way of looking at the world uh, and it will have an inbox that it defines and you cannot. Uh, delete it will have a sent box and that sent box might be named sent it might also be named uh, outbox it might also be named sent items but whatever the server decides to call it that's what it will be Uh, you will have a trash mailbox which again could be called trash it could be called deleted items it could be called bitbucket it you know typically mail servers don't do that last one but it's possible and then you'll also have a drafts folder that's and, and again, it could be drafts or draft messages. The names are important, but the names are not standard necessarily. And that's where it gets interesting is there is no 
defined standard for what these folders should be called, but you will have folders that serve the purposes of inbox sent drafts and trash. That's I don't know if that's in the RFC for IMAP, but it's certainly the accepted standard. So the server defines what for the, of those folders it wants to have. Then every client that connects your Mac being a client, um, the uh, your iPhone or iPad being a client, your Android device being a client, et cetera, et cetera, all have uh, their own versions. And you might have Thunderbird on your Mac calls the trash folder one thing and mail on your Mac calls the trash folder another thing. That's totally possible. Uh, and that's where some of this can get confusing because while the server might call trash trash, mail might by default call trash deleted messages. And so you wind up with these extra mailboxes and you can't seem to get a, a handle on it. The best thing to do is figure out what the server is calling its stuff. And the, the best way to do that is to go to the server's uh, webmail interface send a message or delete a message and then look and figure out what folder the server put that message into. So if you've deleted a message and it goes into a certain folder, now, you know, that is my trash folder. Go back into mail and highlight whatever that folder is. It, it's probably not going to show up as trash. If it doesn't show up, it's already assigned properly, but mail will let you assign different folders for these special folders. So you look in your list and you find whatever your server is calling trash, highlight it, go up to the uh, mailbox menu and have, uh, almost at the bottom is an option for use this mailbox for and choose in this case trash. Do the same thing with sent and uh, and drafts if you want to keep drafts on the server. Typically inbox is going to map. OK, I think everybody calls inbox inbox, but sometimes not. It's possible that they wouldn't. And that's how you then get it in sync. You can also and, and should also do the same thing on your iOS devices. And you do this in not in the mail app, but again, back in settings, you go to settings, uh, mail contacts and calendars, choose the account in question and uh, and then go into the account, go all the way to the bottom, choose advanced. And you will see you will have drafts sent, deleted and archive mailboxes that you can manually set here and point them to what they should be on the server. That's the way to get this stuff back in sync and make everybody put stuff where uh, where you want it put so that there's a, a common place. That's that's the magic answer there. It's not all that it's not all that great. Uh, it would be nice if IMAP had just standardized on this, but I I, I guess it didn't uh, because no mail client is the same. So you got but you got to do it on every one of your devices. But once you do it once, then you should be all set. Thoughts, John? You went. You That's went very something. timely because I just ran into this, Dave, and I just did something based on what you just said. So uh, I recently um, migrated a bunch of stuff from uh, uh, local storage on my uh, MacBook Pro within Mail to an IMAP account, and I had the same thing happen: is that I saw a folder called "Deleted Messages," and it's like, oh, well, that's it. And you know, I went through the same steps. Sure. But actually, I got to the point where that was no longer a folder. Once I did what you said within mail, which is, yeah, identify explicitly the folders you want to use for trash inbox sent and all that stuff. And also doing it on iOS. I noticed that the thing is, I still had this folder called deleted messages and I deleted it. <laughs> it was kind of left over or, or they were they were out of sync. And so it was still there, but it wasn't being used. Right, right, right. Exactly. 
because it concerned me for a moment because I'm like, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, one, you know, one, it, once I got into my head that it, first I had to tell everybody, OK, this is where you put this sort of stuff and you're all in sync. Then then, you know, I felt good about being able to delete that and not ruin everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I run into it, too. Once every six months or so, I'll find that one of my devices for 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 good reason, but one that I had neglected to pay attention to at the time is now, you know, sending my trash to a new folder called deleted messages and I'll realize it. And I'm like, oh, OK, and then I, you know, I got to I got to figure out which one of my devices it is. And, you know, that's usually a fun little process. But then, like you said, once you get it, you find it you're like, ah, you know. Needle in the haystack. Great. So that's good. So, yeah, John, you I, I'm curious about this and this we'll, we'll touch on this here, but I'm more curious. And I think more of our listeners would be more curious long term. You just moved all your stuff from uh, you essentially are using IMAP for all of your mail storage. Now you moved all your on my Mac folders and everything to an IMAP account uh, with your Mavericks machines and actually a mountain lion machine, right? You've got both. Uh and you chose to use Yahoo Mail, which is very interesting and timely, given how many problems uh, we Mavericks users are having with Gmail and Apple being this moving target with every OS update and even some incremental updates that aren't considered OS updates changing the way Gmail or Mavericks interfaces with Gmail. It's gotten very frustrating uh, for those of us that have a lot of mail out there, as you now do. So uh, I know you've only been on Yahoo for, you know, a day or two at best, but uh, going, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to re-ask you this question in two weeks, but I'll ask it now. So far, all three devices, right? So iOS 7, Mavericks and Mountain Lion, how are they doing on this? It, it was almost like magic. So, uh, and the reason I chose them is so, so I was cleaning out my accounts the other day and I discovered that I had uh a Yahoo email account, IMAP account that I had kind of sure. forgotten about. And I'm like, well, you know, let me, let me, just, I think it was also cleaning up my Flickr. So I was just going through my accounts and yeah, I didn't lie. Anyways. Um, so I discovered I had, I had the Yahoo IMAP and setting up was real easy. And the, you know, as far as I can tell, it's, it's free. And uh, when I go in account info, it says storage unlimited. And I'm like, well, that that's good. Huh? Um, so I, I decided to give it a shot to use this store for, for my data and just see how it works out. And so far it seems to be, uh, you know, it seems to be okay. The only weirdness is that, you know, I think like everybody, they have some weirdness with their IMAP implementation. So the only thing I noticed is when I copied my folders over, yeah, the top level folder doesn't seem to be accessible in that I can't drag messages into it. I can drag messages into the folders under right. the top level folder. Okay which is a little different from how other people implement it. No, it's only different from the way mail implements it. Oh, okay. Yeah. When you, I, I ran into that too years ago when I moved things to IMAP. Yeah. In mail, you can have a folder that contains messages or other folders. Whereas in uh, most IMAP implementations, you can only have folders that you can have subfolders of folders, but that you can't have messages and folders intermixed. That's right. Okay, but, but, it, but uh, so, so how, far, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, here's the only weird thing that I've noticed. So, uh, you know, I have it set up on the three machines. And then the one thing that, you know, just, you know, made me happy was when I fired up 
my um, Mac Mini and ran mail on that, which is still running on uh, Mountain Lion, all of a sudden in my Yahoo account section, all of a sudden all these folders started appearing. Oh, <laughs> I was right. like, this is exactly what I want because I didn't want the nightmare of having local storage on one machine and not being able to get to the stuff. The only weirdness I ran into so far, Dave, is that if I try to access and I can't figure the rhyme or reason, I tried to access one folder um, on my iOS device. And when I click on it, it lists the emails, but it doesn't list them in date order. Interesting. I'm thinking the thing is it may have been rebuilding a, a cache sure. or something. So I may, I could have, I could have, because I, you know, did it shortly after I, you know, and it took a while to copy the messages over, but I think it's also rebuilding some indices or, or something while you're doing that. Yeah. And I think I may have approached it from my iOS device at the wrong time and maybe yep. it hadn't finished indexing them yet. So huh. uh, that's the only oddness I noticed. Other than that, I can access, you know, all my data from all my devices. So, um, so, okay. Yeah, I should have so, done, I should have done it long ago. Right. Right. Well, so I'm, I'm curious about Yahoo because I'm having, like I said, problems with Gmail then. I, and I don't know that I want to wait for Apple to get it right. Um, and I realize Google is equally at fault here because they don't really support IMAP, even though they do. So it's this, it's this weird lack of synchronicity there. But, um, so that the questions that I have is I'm, I'm considering alternative uh, IMAP servers, either free or paid. And I'm, I'm not against paying for, for mail hosting um, reliability. Obviously that's, that's, uh, that's the easy one storage. So how much storage do I get cost? In this case, you've got, you know, free. And I think we could probably even check off reliability though, although I'm curious to see how you feel about that. And after two weeks or so spam filtering, so, uh, you know, Gmail spam filtering works very well for me. And I like the way that it, the interface is very simple. You just move a message out of the spam folder and it trains it that that's not spam. That's good stuff. Um, and um, webmail. And not that I use webmail often, but it is handy to have a good webmail interface that I can get into and manage stuff with if I need to, especially if one of my machines is down. So um, that's where a lot of the third party ones really kind of fall apart. But, uh, but so I'm, I'm just curious how, you know, in, in the next couple of weeks, how that works out for you. Yeah. I mean, the web interface, like I think I mentioned, I, uh, my mom was on Yahoo email for, for ages. I never signed her up for, uh, right. uh, you know, the, the one through the ISP, which is a good thing because that changed in my case, you know, even though I moved, <laughs> um, right. my ISP is this, the, the same. You know, I'll have to deal with that at some point. But um, I actually switched her over. So she had the pop one, which at some point you had to pay for pop access uh, on a yearly basis. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just switch it over to the IMAP version. Um, that seems to be working fine, too. Good. So how does uh, the and then the other thing that, that I would find important for me and, and, and others, as you as you just pointed out, you know, you, you want to have a mail uh, server that you can rely on, but you don't necessarily want to have your email address associated with that server. So, it, you know, I, I use Google, but my addresses are not at Google or gmail.com. They are at Mac observer or Dave, the nerd.com, depending on which address you're using for me. Uh, so I'm all, I'd also be very curious how Yahoo or any of these others deal with hosting mail of other domains or, or aliasing, you know, other addresses that you own and how that all kind of factors in. Cause that, 
that that's a that's a big deal. I don't want to get married to one mail server for exactly these reasons. I want to be able to move if I want to. So that's uh, yeah. And at this point, I'm using them. I don't really use them for email. I'm using them pretty much for storage. Right. Mm. Now, now right. you and I have been through that with Google in that. Yeah, I have a number of oh, yeah. you know, other addresses um, through Google. Google, Google does all this fun. stuff really well. I mean, they really do. It's just this weird IMAP implementation now with with Mavericks has caused a lot of problems. Last night, John, as we were texting about this and you sort of inspired me to turn off all mail again in in Gmail because uh, you needed that initially with Mavericks. Now you don't. So I turned it off and all of my devices are seem very happy with this, with the exception of one. And that being the iMac I use in the office, nothing shows up in the inbox for my main Gmail account. And I have uh, told it to rebuild the mailbox. I have, <clears throat> pardon me. I have done all kinds of things and to no avail. So this morning I figured, well, I'll just kill the account and add the account again and have it start from scratch. And when I go in mail, it shows up in my accounts list and I say delete. And it says, no, this account is actually in your Internet accounts in your system preferences. Would you like to go there to delete it? And I said, sure. And I go there and that account's not listed. So I have no way of being able to delete this account because it's still mail sees it. But my Internet accounts do not. And mail won't delete it because it says it's one account that should be showing up in my Internet accounts. So. I've got to figure out where mail is storing all of, you know, what P list mail is looking at and go and manually edit that. And I can't, I, I looked very quickly. I had to come do the show. So I kind of had to stop. Um, otherwise I'd still be at it, but I got, I, I looked in uh home library preferences and it didn't seem like the mail P list there had my accounts in it. So I've got to, uh, I've got to figure out where that, you know, is. it's nice to know though, that technically a droid guys like you run smack into brick walls, just like I do. All Absolutely. The time, you know? Oh no. Like, like, yeah. Damn. Really? <laughs> what be? Well, how, how can it not be there? It just said it was there. It just said it was, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's click. It's okay. No, the okay scene. button's grayed out. You can't click that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's now good one, stuff. <laughs> now, one thing, I, now I don't know if I, I have a different experience with Gmail and Mavericks, Dave, because when they came out, as soon as they came out with the first update claiming they had fixed label issues with Gmail, I went and turned off uh, the all mail and it did a huge resync operation, which I guess happened to you as well. But then I've the, I, the issues that I had, and I think most people had, which is either messages, you would delete them and they would reappear or messages wouldn't show up in a timely fashion where you could, you know, get on other devices. I've, I haven't run into that. So yeah, I'm not sure why I'm not having problems with Gmail. And well, you turned you off are. all mail as quickly as you could. And I think that yes. really was the root of the issue. I, I didn't um, but until last night because and I, I had planned to, but it was just, you know, when am I going to have time to go through this? And I thought, actually, the next couple of days are good. You know, I, I can I can deal with this. Well, it obviously turned into be a much bigger can of worms than I initially thought. That. Right. Now, the one thing I noticed, though, so, you know, I, I tweeted about this to, uh, uh, you know, that I was doing this and, you know, got into a few discussions. And actually one person asked me this and he's like, well, what are you doing about backing up your mail? That's like, the hmm. that's the big question, because, yeah, if somebody goes into your well, mail server and blows it away, your clients will all reflect that change. Well, let me I'll tell you. And I'm like, oh, well. 
Well, I looked on the computer and I saw that all of my mail, in fact, was also represented on the hard drive. And I'm like, of course, well, that's interesting. But the thing is, Dave, that's that they've subtly changed something in mail, at least from mountain line, because on mountain line, if you go to your accounts and you select an account and you go to advanced, there's an explicit keep copies of messages for offline viewing selection, which we've talked about in the past. That's no longer there in Mavericks mail. I think Mavericks mail is now doing that by default. Yeah, that makes sense. Which to me is not a bad thing. I think it should happen, but that was my answer is that, yes. So, so what happens now is all my mail well, but is that, backed that's up not with enough. my regular backups. Right. You've got to make sure that you're making, just having a copy of your mail on your hard drive in your mail folder that's used by mail mm-hmm. is not safe enough because if something, oh, if something goes amok and deletes everything on the server, you, you, you know, the, it's important. To, I know you know this, but for the sake of our listeners, it's important to remember that your mail client is just that it's a client. So if mm-hmm. something on the server says all these messages should be deleted, your client will sync that change down and delete everything. But sure. if, but if you've backed up your mail, then you're okay. Right. So, and yeah, so, so counting on that is the only backup strategy, which is, well, it's on my hard drive and I'm doing a time machine or a full backup. I mean, that's right. a strategy. One that, you know, people may want to consider, which uh, I don't, do but you know <laughs> well you you know you, but you know on occasion export your mail somewhere else you know which is easy to do i mean you highlight the mailboxes and you say export and then it uh, or archive it i guess is the other thing that that i think you do on a fairly regular basis last i checked yeah and there's there's a third party tool that's been around for a while called mail steward at mailsteward.com we'll put it in the show notes that uh, that can work very well for this and creates a database of all your mail and and kind of keeps your life organized all right, John, wow. it, it is well, that time. Was a, that yeah. was a great male love in there. It was. <laughs> yeah, it's time to, uh, it, to just do a little recap of, of 2013 and, and look forward to 2014 here. I figured it would be fun to, uh, to do this. And so what I did, and I think you did the same thing, is went through and read um, all of the show notes that we had from, uh, from this past year. And uh, and a couple of things jumped out at me, John. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a couple, then you do a couple. We'll pass it back and forth and, and we'll have a fun little chat here for the last, whatever, 15 minutes of of today's mm-hmm. show. And then we'll talk about what we're looking forward to in 2014, because that actually is even more important. But, um, it, you know, the, the, in terms of Mac Geek Gab, there were a couple of episodes that jumped out at me. First was <clears throat> very recently, episode 477, which was just at the beginning of December. We talked about Wi-Fi and I liked that. So, uh, uh, you know, it was it was good to really geek out on on one topic and and your questions drove that. But it but it really it was it was fun to dig in. We've done we've done a couple of Wi-Fi episodes this year, and, and I think we've learned a lot about Wi-Fi. In fact, one of the other notes that I had was that uh, in Mac Geek Gab 453 back in June, uh, I shared the revelation that I learned that. When you have mixed 2.4 and 5 gigahertz networks in your home or even in your office, the best thing is to name them both exactly the same SSID and let the client and the client and the base station. I mean, it's a mutual negotiation. Let them decide what's the best for any given connection. And it's worked way better for me. So so those those were uh, those were two episodes uh, while I'm on the uh, episodes. Uh, I will say that it was great having Michael Johnston on uh, in 475 back in November. 
And I believe it was Mac Geek Gab 437, but it might have been 454 where we had a power outage mid show, John. And uh, and we recovered from it. I, I had a power outage here and it came back just as we were about to give up on on finishing the show. So that that was, you know, it was that it was, was a, a wicked storm. Coming it was through. An, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I might have been 454. I think it was because it was later in the year. It was I later. Was, it wasn't February. Yeah. I was, no, it was much later in the year. I was okay. over at the Portsmouth Hospital with my son. He was doing some OT and uh, visibility went down to a quarter mile. Oh, yeah. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. And yeah. it was blowing. Right, right, right. So those are those are my uh, favorite episodes. So two of those things I would like to repeat. Um, the power interrupt us will be the one that's off that list. Uh, I don't need to do that again. I don't think, John, as fun as that was. Uh, but but having, you know, more uh, a couple not not all episodes, but some episodes focused on specific topics, I think works out well for us. And uh and I also liked having Michael on as a guest. So I want to have, again, not every episode, but maybe once a month, once every six weeks, having a guest on and perhaps even combining the two uh, of having a guest to talk about, you know, and help us with kind of shed some light on specific topics. So so that's that's my first round here. And uh, we'll put links to those in the show notes. So what do you got? You got a couple for us? Cool. Um, well, dovetail on one of those. So, uh, you know, I think I told you that, you know, I recently um, I was trying to clean up my Wi-Fi network. Yeah. And I think what happened, so one is a, a one kind of made me sad. So I, I, I'm doing an extension. So I extend from my time capsule to a, a airport express downstairs. And every couple of weeks, it would get into a flashing yellow light mode. And I'm like, oh, man, an airport utility wouldn't see it. And I'm like, this, this sucks. You know, I was considering yeah. returning it. I think what happened, Dave, is that since I got the N adapter, and now there's no G device polluting it. I think they may have a little bug. Oh, really? Because what happened? Yeah, I mean, when because other than that, I mean, when the connection, when when devices were connecting to it, it would always show excellent signal strength. Its connection to my other devices is excellent. So I don't know why it would you know all of a sudden drop off the network. I, I suspect. Uh, I'm guessing it's because the G device was upsetting it. So I've had smooth sailing since then. That's good. Um, now, one thing I want to. Yeah. So so a couple things here, you know, software that, you know, has come out and, and I think is really helpful. So so one is something we've talked about. One, one is something that I actually just started using, Dave. But, um, you know, batteries are always going to be something that's very important. Um, and, and two things that I really like that uh, I think both came out this year. Uh, so one for anybody that's running a uh, Mac. Uh, fruit juice. Yeah. I've come to really the, like, the, and it's really helped me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And you tried out the early one and I've tried out the, the latest one here and uh, it does a very good job of enforcing, uh, trying to make you do the right thing when it comes to charging and, and discharging and, and all that. But I actually found one Dave, which I did find in our show notes and I just started running it and I really like it on my shiny, fairly new iPhone 5s here. And I don't know if you run this Dave, but it's called battery saver. It's an iOS program. I, I have it. I'm not convinced of its efficacy. So I'm curious of your thoughts. Effic there. <laughs> well, what I do like is that if anything, it goes into detail about what's happening. Are you on a, a fast charge? Uh, so if anything, it, and you know, when you, when you do the right, when you, it kind of gives you a pat on the back or a little badge or something like that. 
when you're exhibiting a you know good battery behavior. Yeah, it also makes noise. I had an alarm set for Mac Ecab this morning, and 20 minutes before my alarm, Battery Saver chimed in for me that I was a good boy. It's like, it's the heck with you. That's not well, the word that came out, but you know. <sighs> I don't need a chime telling me that my battery's good. It's freaking 8.15 in the morning. I want to sleep. Well, you know, that's weird because I actually, you know, I thought it was iOS, but actually it did Jeez, at thanks. one point when I started charging my battery. It said, um, it looks like your battery's going to finish charging, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, do you want me to go into do not disturb mode? And I'm like, hmm. That would be a good idea. Maybe a good. I don't know def- why you didn't catch that. Huh. Well, I put. Well, yeah, I guess my iPhone wasn't in Do Not Disturb. You know, my iPhone goes into Do Not Disturb, but that part ends at like seven a.m. or something. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't impressed. But yes, I need to turn that part off. It is free, so we'll we'll put it in the show notes for sure. And it, maybe it is good. I just got to tweak its settings. Um, another thing, and then I'll hand it over to you. But yeah. another thing that. You know, I think we've really dug into this here and, uh, and, you know, I learned a heck of a lot here was uh, our exploration of the NAS space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah we've and become... then I think you and I have uh, become a, you know, good reference point for the pluses and minuses of, of the various uh, NAS solutions out there. Yep. Um, and we and have I more say, to I, test. I, I, go, go ahead, John, finish and then I'll, I'll tell you what I've got on deck here, too. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've taught, you know, the different ones have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, uh, I would say right now, the one, you know, I'm most excited about is the uh, Synology and just the potential to run all of these apps. So it's not only a NAS, but it it is a little computer that can run all of these apps. And, you know, it has, you know, way more apps than any of the other devices uh, currently. Uh, so it's kind of the top of the heap. On the other hand, you know, things like Transporter and, you know, the, the what they're moving to. I think it's also great is that they're really uh, there are so many solutions now to help people deal with, uh, you know, either just making sure that your data is backed up and, uh, you know, done in a reliable fashion with RAID or whatever scheme they use. Uh, right. Or giving you the ability to get your own cloud, which, you know, to a certain extent, uh, you know, Synology certainly does. And, uh, and and the transporter does as well. And I think, well, I guess the Drobo can do that as well. right? Yep. Well, no, not yet. <sighs> It, I okay. mean, I can only imagine that it will because they're now Transporter and, and Drobo are both owned by Drobo. So the, they, they've all merged. So I would I would guess that that's going to get there. Yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah, I, as far as the NAS stuff, I have a couple of things on deck here. I have a QNAP uh, unit. I think it's the TS420, but don't quote me on that, although you will. Um, it's uh, but it's in my opinion, QNAP does a lot of great things. They have a huge app market perhaps the same size as Synology's um, and they, and their hardware seems solid uh, in the limited testing that I've done. The one thing that they don't do it, you know, when you set it up, it goes through this thing. Are you doing this at home or in a business? Uh, and they show you more things if you're doing it at home, which is, which makes sense. Cause you might want to have a media server and that sort of thing. But um, you have to use drives of all the same sizes. Still it's, it's that traditional raid model. And to me, that is a complete non-starter for homes. But I, I, they haven't said anything to me officially or even unofficially, but I get this feeling that that might change. So that's something I'm looking forward to watching in 2014. Um, so we'll see about that. Uh, I also have the Synology, the, 20, the, the 214 SE. 
the new one they came out with. And I really want to test that. I've just been bogged down. Uh, so I'm going to check that out. Um, it's the two bay unit and it might be kind of the perfect entry level NAS for most of our, our listeners because it's not 800 bucks or 700 bucks. I think it's like, it's uh, I forget. It's like two or 200 or 300 bucks. Um, and then the other thing I'm really excited about, which I also haven't, haven't opened yet cause I've been busy is Western digital's, uh, my cloud. Um, and that I'm really stoked to check out because I think that might be a great personal cloud thing. Uh, so anyway, that it it's I think that that geeky lesson will continue, which is good. And along the lines, though, with the with the NAS drives, let me jump in there and say, uh, get crash plan and share it with a friend. Oh, you yeah. Know, Dave and I have tried that this year. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, and I think you've got five machines or six, five, five machines backing up to a Drobo in my basement. And yep. I have three machines backing up to a, a Drobo in, in Dave's office. Yep. And um, it has. uh uh, it, it's had a couple fits and starts, uh, but, <laughs> yes. but uh, mostly self-inflicted wounds on that, I guess, uh, particularly on my end. But uh, uh, it, that's been fantastic and, and a real peace of mind knowing that I've got, uh, and, and in, in fact, helped me when suddenly my wife's uh, one password data disappeared. And I have no idea how it managed to get deleted, but it was all gone. And I was able to go over the net and grab that data off of the uh, off of the Drobo in Dave's office and, and bring it back over. But that's so, awesome. Yeah. So using a NAS drive for a crash plan backup, see, I seated it at the house first. Dave did the same here. And right. then we just swapped drives, plugged them in and uh, uh crash plan magically goes, Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. And then very little configuration work at all. Yeah. It works great. So, yeah. yeah. It, it works. Great. I mean, it's, it's, it, I wouldn't use it as the only no, solution because not. it is quirky and, it regularly requires TLC, right? But it's there. It, it absolutely, and yeah. the data is clearly there when I needed yes. it and what I wanted. It 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 was there. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fun and adds peace of mind in that order. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah. the and the one other thing, I took some advice from Dave, and uh, I, I was not afraid to this year upgrade, as it were, to an 11 inch MacBook Air, and I absolutely it's. It is awesome. I had a 13 inch. I couldn't justify buying a new machine and I wound up upgrading to the 11 and I can't tell the difference with the full size keyboard. I love this machine. So if you're thinking along those lines, don't hesitate. You won't be sorry. Cool. All right. So John, we, um, we saw, well, we saw iOS seven released this year and really that's the first major change to iOS since like the app store was added, you know, years ago. Right. I mean, for the most part, iOS seven's UI has been the same that it always has been. So, so that, that was interesting. Mavericks obviously came out, although that's one I'm more looking forward to 2014 uh, and it being a little more stable. Um, hardware wise, we have from Apple, we have the new Mac pro that just came out that, will be interesting. Although I think the market for it is very small compared to where the market for the Mac pro used to be because a Mac mini or an iMac will serve most previous Mac pro users needs, even though they don't necessarily want to admit that. Um, and the retina iPad mini obviously was something personal that, uh, well, I mean, Apple came out with, it wasn't just for me, but, uh, but it works quite well for me, but, um, two things, three things, John, uh, we dug deeply into email certificates, right? Did I lose? Oh you, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, nope, I'm here. 
No, that, no, that I, was a that was a great discussion uh, in light of uh, certain three letter agencies. That's right. <laughs> yeah, although to our credit, we had started digging into that before that whole Snowden NSA thing blew up. I mean, it was just it was almost synchronous, right? But it was we we started down that path. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but you and I had sort of started down it, you know, back and forth between us, and then all this stuff happened. It was like, hey, great, we're 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 already. We're, we're giving him something more to do. Yeah, we're giving him something more to do. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's interesting. And that's something I still use and I plan to keep using. So and a lot of our listeners, a lot of you folks use that. And we have um, not only signed communications back and forth, but we actually have secure communications about troubleshooting, which is great because the NSA will get to decrypt those in 15 years. And go, darn it. Darn it. Yeah. Well, nothing good here. But um, uh, I got to use my iPad during takeoff and landing in 2013. That's exciting. Beautiful. I know it, it shouldn't be something that is news, but uh, me but it, too in the cockpit. Actually, we oh, were in, we were issued them this year. That's so right. That's my you know uh, oh, so much nicer than the than the Windows equipment that was already in the cockpit. Yeah, I went to iPads. It's it's cleaner. It's faster. It's brighter. Beautiful. That's good. I worry about having yeah. uh, now. It wasn't used in any way, shape, or form to operate the uh, aircraft. That's my charge. The Windows machine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, no, I see what you're no, saying. No, I'm not no, saying not the plane's yeah, not yeah, running the, the Windows, right? Yeah, the airplane was not running Windows. It's uh, in fact, it's a very old 8086 uh, chip and all that. But uh, no, no, it was our it was our charts, our navigation charts, and our approach plates and that sort of thing, and it seemed to work well. All the manuals there, but it was just a clunky interface that uh, mm-hmm. that hurt. You know, you find yourself pinching and and trying to zoom and stuff, and and it was like, oh yeah, no, that's an iPad. Okay, here's how you have to do it. Here, you have to find the icon and hit the magnifying glass and all right, so John, you got any uh, you got any last things from 2013 before we talk about what we're looking forward to in 2014 here? Um, to to add to those, so um, you know, it was nice to see uh, some products come out that would uh, you know. So speaking of security, uh, you know, we we've talked, of course, about the certificates and also how you know you want to be using SSL within mail to protect you know things in transit, but um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, some of the things that. Uh, or one thing that occurred to me that was a good thing that we discussed. Uh, one, there are products uh, like Cloak right now, I think is one of the more notable ones uh, that'll give you a VPN. Um, you know, if you don't know it, uh, you should. But if you're logging in any sort of public Wi-Fi, uh, your traffic is uh, has potential to be monitored. Um so something like GetCloak or there are other VPN solutions, of course, you know, there's there's one in Mac OS 10 server. I believe there's one uh, Synology has one if, you, if you'd like that. So you can set up your own VPN. But, um, you know, protecting uh, your communications so, you know, identity theft or something won't happen. Uh, you know, something that I just noticed that you know, more. I want to make as many people aware of that as possible. Ooh, ooh, along and along those lines, iOS now allows. There's an app called OpenVPN, so you can you, right. you aren't lit, you know a lot of servers firewall the PTPP. P, 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 <laughs> say that <laughs> ten times fast. Yeah. PTPP yeah. protocol is is blocked, um, but OpenVPN can't be because it's on four forty three and port eighty and that sort right. of stuff. So so OpenVPN is a free app available. In the uh, in the iTunes App Store, and so you can even do it on your iOS devices now. Um, so when you're roaming, you can use VPN. Sweet. And John, in uh, in 2013, the new era of Mac Geek App Premium uh, was uh, came to fruition 
it, by way of our Mac Geek Up water bottles that went out to our first round of uh, premium su- supporters that hit their their, their tier level. So that I, that was I, a I was glad to do that and glad to have all of you on board with us. And, and it was a great thing to do back and forth with each other. But I also I really like the water bottle. It's one of the best water bottles I've ever had. Uh, we were able to get really good quality stuff. So uh, so that that was fun. But looking into 2014, John, the first thing that I'm really stoked about is that I don't have to also go to Macworld Expo in January. I've got to go to CES and New Media Expo next weekend, and I don't know what that's going to do to our podcast schedule, but we'll talk about that. But uh, but then we get to chill for a little bit and go to Macworld iWorld in March, which I think is a really good thing schedule wise. So I'm 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 really looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I won't. Right go, I won't get. I won't have to sleep in an airport. <laughs> right. Yes. Chances <laughs> are there won't be a big snowstorm as we are traveling in to and March. from. But where you will sleep actually is different. I, and I, I will mention this just because I know uh, many of you will look to us for a hotel deal because we've done them in almost every year uh, for the last ten years. We and we may do another one for you this year, but for us, uh, I, I have. You've you've all heard me talk about that on family vacations we stayed in apartments that we've rented through HomeAway or Airbnb, and uh, I'm, I like that experience much better than a hotel. And price wise, it's way cheaper than a hotel, especially if you've got to put you know multiple bedrooms together or multiple hotel rooms together. And we here at TMO, the TMO staff has been very very spoiled for the last twelve years since we moved into doing individual hotel rooms for people, as opposed to like every other company doing shared hotel rooms. Uh, but we have, I like it that way, and I, it, it's it's something that we've always done and always hope to be able to do. So this year, it made a, makes a whole lot more sense with MacWorld for us to do. Uh, we've got a bunch of two bedroom apartments that we picked up through Airbnb. And uh, and each person gets their own bedroom and it's literally half the price. The price of the one bedroom or the two bedroom apartment is the same as the price of a hotel room for one person. So I get two people for the price of one. And you don't have to go out to breakfast if you don't want, because you can just, you know, you've got a kitchen and a living room and all that stuff. So it uh, so cost wise, it works out. They're all within walking distance. So that's what we're doing this year. And uh, I encourage you to check it out to, you know, find a place that that works for you and uh, and go with it. So. So that's that. And then do they have uh internets? Yes. Yeah. Ah, wonderful. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And that's actually been one of my one of my gripes, although yeah, it was yeah. hotel connectivity is always a, a kind of roll on the dice. Right. It's so usually a bad experience. Even if people have crummy internet by by home standards in their rental units, it's gotta be way better than what you'd get in a hotel with, you know, sharing with 600 other people or whatever it is that's going on and all those devices. So yeah, no, actually I, that, that should work out even better. And, uh, but before I do have to go somewhere, I, in fact, I do have to go to Cupertino in January for the Mac 30th event where, as I mentioned, the all-star bands plan, but more than that, they've got the original Mac design team speaking and, and lots of special guests for this um, event on the 25th. So if you're around or you want to be around, you can buy tickets and uh, and come out for that. So that's at Mac30th.com is, is where that where that will go. So oh, that's cool. I, yeah. wanted a, I wanted an opinion from you. Do you think since they're moving Macworld to March that Apple will become involved again? No. 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 They're, they're done. They don't do other people's trade shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you just, know what, Pete? Who needs them? That's right. 
<laughs> well, but honestly, in, in the number of years that I've attended um, Macworld and covered Macworld, I, I never really, other than, you know, maybe getting a, a first look at some new stuff. Um, right. There was a few I years to be that honest they were presenting that. that. I, I think I agree with them with their justification is, hey, you know, you want to see what the latest stuff come to the Apple store. It's like, OK, there you go. And, you know, and, that, um, and the keynotes were, you know, entertaining. Um, yes. You know, Steve or whoever was up there. OK, that, that was kind of cool, too. But, uh, you know, I still and we're, we're seeing more and more of that is that, you know, so number one, you know, hats off to, you know, IDG and Paul and and the whole team there uh, making a show that I think is, is still, you know, very relevant, but also, you know, making us aware of, you know, a lot of these smaller innovators um, that are coming out with all sorts of cool stuff. You know, I never really, it's like, you know, so Apple was there. And even if I did want to get some info, you know, I, you know, try to talk to a PR person or there'd be like, you know, and a lot of times I didn't <laughs> get what I was looking for. But one time I was writing a story. There were some people I remember there, there were some people protesting, you know, about Apple's environmental record. And I remember I went to the booth and I said, well, hey, do you, you know, PR, do you have a, a response to their allegations? And they're like, go to the website. And I'm like, oh, you know, thanks for, uh, you know, providing that, you know, added value. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not I'm not over. I will agree that. Um, and I expect the same for 2014 and, but in years past, uh, IDG has done a great job of turning Macworld Expo now, now Macworld iWorld into more of a community focused event, uh, and, and less and less about the trade show floor because I am finding the expo floor and I, and actually I'm sure the people, I'm sure Paul will hate me for saying this uh, because I think that's where a lot of the revenue comes from is from the expo floor. But I am finding expo floors to be completely unnecessary in today's world. Um, they are, it's, it's if, if I want to learn about your product, I can learn either everything I need to learn on the web or I'm not going to learn everything I need to learn until I actually have your product in my office and can test it. But being able to touch it on the show floor is of limited value to me, uh, you know, for the four minutes that I would have to spend in your booth. And frankly, I would much rather go to a show like, you know, like Singleton or Mac Tech, where there's, you know, somewhere between 100 and 500 people there as opposed to 20 to 30,000 people or CES where there's 160,000 people where uh, they, you know, I can actually eat breakfast, lunch and dinner with all the attendees and really get quality time with people because quality time with people is the only value that to me is left in getting together with, you know, a group for any reason at learning about products is the last thing. In fact, if I meet with someone like Dave Tier from, from agile bits, right? He was at Singleton. Uh, he had new stuff in one password, but we spent none of our time talking about that. Uh, he sent me an email afterwards that detailed the things and I got to test it and play with it. I mean, he did, we spent 30 seconds talking about it. He's like, I'll send you a build. You can learn about these new things and I'll, I'll highlight them for you. We're like, great. And then we went on to talk about our kids and our families and all that other stuff that builds a, a relationship so that when you are emailing back and forth, it's not just some faceless person. There's actually a human connection there. And the human connection is the most important thing that trade shows. In fact, it, I think it's the only important thing that trade shows do training. Yes. Sometimes the sessions are good. Sometimes they're crap. 
Uh, Macworld sessions tend to be, you know, 99% good and 1% crap. Um, whereas I find sessions at most other expos to be the other way around because they typically do panels. But uh, then I find panels largely worthless, even though I'm speaking on one on a week from Monday at NMX. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I've got Don McAllister and uh, Andy Anatko with me and Chuck Joyner is going to moderate. So with Chuck moderating it, I think there's there's high percentage chance of it being good uh, because he'll keep us wrangled in uh, talking about podcasting on the Mac. But uh, but yeah, I, I I for CES, I am aiming to spend as little time on the expo floor as possible. I've scheduled meetings to learn a bit, to meet with people. And, you know, 30 minutes is better than five. So um, so that's my feeling on it. And I know there's I, I know there's people whose whose income is entrenched in that that probably aren't all that happy with it. But I think it's the way it is. That's that's my thought. Mm. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Oh, well, I I like pep. I, I still. Well, yeah, but well, I was going to say I still get value. So I pop in, uh, you know, I, I take the train over to, you know, smaller focused events yes. that they have. Uh, and, you know, there's that they have. Uh, uh, let me see. I, I went to uh, Engadget Expand. That was good. Uh, CES uh, Unveiled yep. was good. And uh, Pepcom has a couple of events and uh, it's small enough where you can. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times I will find one or two new things, but also maintain yes. you know, contact with uh, people who I'm interested in, in knowing what's happening. No, those so, those um, things, the Pepcom and the Showstoppers type events, and I'll I'll go to those, and I'm very much looking forward to those at CES. Those have replaced the expo floor for me. It yeah, because they're focused. There's not a zillion people there. It it's a way better. It's the it's the way that that should be done. I totally totally agree that that's. Um, that's that's the right way to do this. But they still make a lot of money selling their big, huge booth space at CES. So they're going to have the big Mondo thing and, uh, you know, whatever. People think people seem to think there's value there. That's good. I don't know. So, John, that, uh, this, that, that wraps up 2013 with a longer show than we've done in a while. And we've done some long ones. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com will continue to work in 2014. If you want to send us questions, tips, cool stuff, found comments. Dave, will there ever be a time that feedback at MacGeekCom will not work? No, there will never be a time when, well, actually, there will always be a time when feedback at MacGeekCom won't work. But feedback at MacGeekCab.com will always work. <laughs> uh, oh, premium boy. at MacGeekCab.com works. Uh, for all of you that are premium contributors, whether you've hit your your tier level or not, that address is yours to use uh, and does get prioritized here. So we're happy to uh, we're happy to do that, and we're happy to have that for you. How else, John? Ah, uh, you can call us. You can pick up the telephone, whether it be a landline, which yes, I still have one, or a cell phone, which you also have. Any- any other type of phone or even you can uh, you, you can make phone calls uh, I think with Skype or uh, yes you know yeah and if you wanted to do that and ask us a question or leave us a message or, or just say hi um, you would call 206-666-GEEK which is 4335 four, that's right not PPTP <laughs> not PPTP that's right PPTP is a different thing yeah it's a different uh, phone number you can also Skype us at MacGeekGab if you'd rather either one works you can find us on Twitter. That uh, the show is Matt Geekab. That guy there is John F. Braun. This guy here is Pilot Pete. 
Mac Observer is where all TMO's headlines go. And, of course, I'm Dave Hamilton on uh, on Twitter. John, where else? Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Um, you can see uh, when the next show will be. You can also see when the uh, final show notes are posted. And sometimes we uh, we have some discussions. Um, we do. On Facebook as well. We do. There's almost nowhere you guys aren't. At Google Plus. We're on Google Plus. But I, I've, we've had quite a few listeners um, suggesting that enhancing our presence on Google Plus might actually be a really good thing. That the, the Google Plus communities uh, and setting up a Mac Geek Gab community there may well be something that uh, that we do here in 2014. I think I think that could actually be a really good thing. For uh, for us, I see a lot of those communities thriving, and I think we've got we've got a good community, and 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 that might be the right home for that. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll try that out, and maybe then the, the chat room at macgeekgab.com slash stream will move to a Google Plus Hangout during the show instead, and serve the same purpose. And uh, who knows? But that's what that, that'll, that that'll be part of an experiment for 2014 too. We'd like to you know thank. Where else I saw us, Dave? Here you go. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Oh, well, I can. Because uh, part of the reason I think I, I saw us on my Apple TV podcast technology section. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. I think we were shown in uh, It's Hot is we're not hot just because Dave and I are hot. We're hot because you guys are hot in that <laughs> you help build a wonderful community. Uh, if you have a moment, go to uh, iTunes and uh, make a comment about the show. That does uh, does help us and it helps you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. It helps everybody. Yeah, it grows the show. That's what we like. We'd also like to thank Michael Johnston for uh, for all his work during the year. This show will not have been converted to AAC because Michael's in the process of moving. But uh, but he will resume with the next show. No worries. And uh, and we'll get back right into that. So he converts all the shows except this one <laughs> to AAC. This will come out as an MP3 for all of you. I believe also we've solved the problems with Downcast showing uh, a no media file thing uh, when there is the AAC lag. Um, so uh, if you see those again, please let us know. But I think it's it should be good. I wrote some code this week, John, to fix that. So that's uh, Michael Johnston. Right. He does the We Have Communicators podcast and also uh, getappler.com. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander, PDF Pen, all that good stuff from Smile, Gazelle.com, Squarespace. We're still using MGG12 because this is December, although next year the codes will change. Connected data at uh, filetransporter.com slash MGG. MGG gets you 10% off there, too. All right. Have a great one. Happy New Year, everybody. Be safe and f- Most importantly, don't get caught. Made up.